0: Looking back, I remember my parents taking me to protests when I was a kiddo. So, like, I remember being, like, four or five and holding my parents' hands and being in a march and, like, feeling that energy. And my mom, you know, explaining to me, like, why we were doing what we were doing. So I think my history with protesting goes back, what, almost 20 years?
1: To many outsiders, Aaliyah Giraj is racially ambiguous. She has hazel eyes, tan skin, dark brown curly hair. As a biracial brown woman living in America, Aaliyah's perspective, voice, and story as a non-black person of color is a truly American narrative that often goes unwritten. Aaliyah talked to me about what it means to her to be a politically active woman of color at a time when issues of racial injustice are at the forefront of public discourse. I'm Kim Schneider and this is I Doth Protest, a podcast that explores the forms of resistance people take to stand up for what they believe in. Aliyah graduated from the University of Minnesota in May 2016 with majors in Vocal Performance and Gender, Women's, and Sexuality Studies. Now she works at the High School for Recording Arts, an alternative charter high school in St. Paul, and she is also heavily involved in music in the Twin Cities. And aside from all these things, Aaliyah is also my best friend.
0: I think when I first started to get pretty involved in protesting was when um, the Black Lives Matter movement, especially in Minnesota, started picking up. And that was after, or kind of as a result of everything that was happening in Ferguson. Um, And I think a large part of why I got involved was because I was feeling well I was really angry and really upset and I really felt like I needed to do something and I didn't know what and the organization around Black Lives Matter and like they're like they really just gave us direct actions they're like do this and that I think was really helpful for me to you know feel like I was doing something and like I was making a difference um and so I guess a lot of my protesting has involved marches um and just like being a body in a space i'm half indian um but i have i mean depending on the time of year pretty light skin or tan yeah i don't know people often i think either perceive me as white or don't really know how to place me people either just sort of assume i'm like some weird exotic mix or something but then because I like I can talk white and like have a college degree I think I often get treated with some level I won't call it white privilege but I read actually really interesting article a few weeks ago talking about passing privilege and I that's definitely something that I have
1: In November 2015, Aaliyah was part of a protest in response to the shooting of Jamar Clark, an unarmed black man who was shot by police in Minneapolis on November 15. The protest shut down Highway 94, one of the major highways in the Twin Cities area. Aaliyah was one of dozens of protesters arrested that night.
0: So I had gone over to the fourth precinct for a rally and a march, and I had actually, I was supposed to give a presentation for a class that night and so my original plan was like to go for an hour before the class started and then leave um and I was there with a friend and the march started and we we were feeling the intensity and just kind of how important it felt and I had to make a decision there like to cancel my appointment with the class or to keep marching and I decided to keep marching because I felt like that was a lot more important to me than talking to some folks about studying abroad. Um, and so we marched on to 94 and then um, blocked the freeway and at some point um, some of the organizers made the announcement that if you stay, there's a chance that you will get arrested. so if you don't get if you don't want to get arrested, go home. no one will judge you for it. It was really cool that there wasn't any sort of pressure from anyone to stay and everyone was very clear with the like this is a likely possibility if you choose to stay my friend and i talked about it and we were we both kind of acknowledged like we both had classes the next day but neither of us had to work the next day um one of the things we talked about was, like, neither of us had or have anyone else that is dependent on us, and so we felt like we were in a really good position to be able to get arrested, and, like, neither of us have records, so we were, like, like, getting arrested will not fuck up our lives, really, in any way, like, yeah, it's not gonna be fun, and it, there, there will be consequences that we will have to deal with, but those consequences for us will be very minor in comparison to what other folks might have to go through. Um, and so once we had both sort of acknowledged all that, we decided that it was worth it to us to stay because we could and as an, a not black person of color and a white person, we wanted to use some of the privilege that came with that to do something. So I guess that was why we chose to stay tell me about
1: yeah. tell me more about the actual experience of getting arrested so i know that <laughs> you had commented to me after the women's march a couple weeks ago that you know the police hardly had a presence there mm-hmm. but when you go to a black lives matter protest there are police everywhere, everywhere. and most of the time they're in riot gear and i know yes. so yes. Yeah. so tell me more about actually getting arrested, and what
0: their presence was like. It was crazy. It was like, I've never been to a rave, but I imagine that that's kind of what it would feel like. (laughs) Because by the time, so when the police came, there were were 50 of us that got arrested, so when they came, there were maybe like 75 to 80, or like 70 to 100 people on the freeway. There was just this sea of police cars, and just like, all of these flashing lights, and it was so just visually overwhelming and um they did the thing they gave us the three warnings and we were all sitting there linking arms and then i think we were all standing linking arms and um you know i remember like organizers kind of passing down the line like phone numbers for attorneys to write down on our hands um and then things like You know, I think first someone said, like, I mean, obviously don't resist arrest, but you don't have to, like, comply with anything, and then it was passed on, like, no, if you don't unlink arms, they will, you know, push you into the ground and, like, whatever, and so, like, I had definitely had some moments of fear, for sure, but what ended up happening, for each individual person that was arrested, there were three officers that came to us and all of us no one resisted we all like when it was our turn unlinked arms like stepped back you know we were all i think fairly small like non-threatening like physically people and i just remember thinking how absurd it was that there were three people like around me making me step back and like putting my hands in twist ties or the zip zip ties. Um, then we we're all loaded onto a bus, and how many of you were there again? I think it was like forty some adults and six or eight people under eighteen. And how many police officers would you like say were there? A hundred fifty. It was I forget. I know they reported how many cars came, but also then it was like what a waste of cars and gas and resources and it's like and then the protesters get blamed for it and it's like that was just unnecessary like like this new thing that they're trying to pass to make protesters pay for the resources that are used it just we didn't ask for that response and I know that there are people who will say but that response was necessary because what if blah 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 but I feel like especially in Minneapolis like we've proven time and time again that protests are not violent we're not trying to riot we're just trying to make a point and choosing to respond in a manner that's that extreme is a reflection of the state and not us um so it's just it's so frustrating <laughs> and then also like it was really interesting you know getting arrested and there were a bunch of different folks or white folks black fo- black folks people of color who weren't black and just seeing how Differently folks got treated and like we all had different officers so that was part of it But definitely like race and gender played a big role in that and there were a couple trans folks that were arrested And then when we were separated into like men's and women's like that was another issue And it was just it was really interesting to see how Everyone was dealt with sort of based on Their position
1: as Leah and I wrapped up this portion of our conversation, I asked her, now that it's been two years since you were arrested, has your perspective changed? Has the
0: arrest affected your
1: professional life, and is there anything about that decision you regret?
0: I think I would definitely do it again in terms of, like, having gotten arrested affected my life at all. Like, professionally, it hasn't. We had the stipulation that we couldn't get arrested within a year for a same or similar charge, And if so, um, the charges would be dropped. And also, I've kind of decided for myself that if someone will not hire me because I got arrested for standing up for, you know, a murdered black kid, like, I don't want to work for them. Um, I think that kind of goes back to, you know, voting with your pocketbook. I guess just I want to, I would want to reemphasize that choosing to get arrested was a really or felt like a really productive way for me to use some of the privileges that I have and so I want to keep finding ways to do that and be a really strong ally to the black community in like ways that I can. I think kind of a big
1: issue that some people have with protesting is that they feel like protesters are just making noise Mm -hmm. or like Kind of like you said, like for you, it's constructive to feel like you're part of a space and you're occupying a public space. But to other people, they think that it's you know disruptive, a waste of time, or what have you. So I guess what what do you say to those people that
0: feel like the type of protests that you've done aren't constructive? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I have a lot of thoughts, and very few of them are you know originally mine. Um, <laughs> But I think a big thing to say to people who feel that way is, I think it's important to really look at what you're mad at and why you're mad, and if people causing you to maybe be late to work or late to get home makes you more upset than the fact that there are people dying, um, I think that's a really good time to check your privilege. and you know, really evaluate why you're angry and what you're angry about. As far as like, I know a lot of people who are like, like, what's the point? Like, what does it accomplish? And I've struggled with that. Um, And I think for me, the marches that I've chosen to go to feel really constructive in that they are ways to get media attention um, and just people's attention in general. Like, if you can't go home because there are thousands of people on the freeway in front of you, you're gonna notice and you're gonna wonder what's going on. And hopefully that will cause you to you know, do some research, figure out what's happening in the world that makes people this upset. Um, and then hopefully that will force you to care about it also. Um, but like a big thing with media attention, one of, I know one of the marches I attended a couple years ago, got international coverage. And I feel like that sent a really strong signal to Minneapolis's leaders that, look, not only do we care about what you do and what decisions you make, but now you have the entire world's attention on you. And I think that puts a lot of pressure on city leaders to make changes and to like to act and react. So aside from
1: you know, March's ability to get media attention, is there anything, or start a conversation, is there anything else about the protests that you've done that have felt constructive? Or is there anything about protests that you haven't done that you recognized wasn't constructive and that's why you didn't participate?
0: Yeah, um, well, so things that I've found to be constructive, I think one, building a community and getting to know people, I think that's been a really beautiful, part of the protests that I've attended it's like there's so many people coming from so many different parts of the cities just people that I typically don't get to meet in my day-to-day life and I think just getting to know people and this is really idealist sounding but I think when people get to know folks that what's or that solves a lot of problems that kind of inherently exist so and also that just it feels really good it's always been a really supportive like hopeful space, even when it's angry and upset, there's still that feeling of solidarity and community and so just personally that's been really good. I think when direct action has a specific goal in mind that's really productive, like I went to a like rally that turned into a sit in at the Minneapolis Government Center about the pipeline and um it was when there were Hennepin County Sheriffs over Standing Rock using violent force against protesters there and you know my tax dollars were paying for that and I didn't want that along with a bunch of other folks and so having sort of that goal of like this is specifically like we want these sheriffs to be brought back um, I think that's that can be a really important thing in protesting and so some of the marches that I've chosen not to go to I've felt like there's not a clear goal and I don't think there always has to be but I think for me that tends to be an important thing. I also I think with any sort of protest there has to be like follow through afterwards. It can't just be like I'm gonna march and then I did my civic duty for the year. One of the things that's frustrated me is just like seeing folks Post pictures Like, folks that I know post pictures on social media of them in a march and, like, me being really excited about them and proud that they're going. But then, you know, they'll do things like continuing to shop at places that are supporting the things that they're protesting. Or, like, they don't, like, there's no change or continued action from them. And it's, like, as people who I know personally, like, I see that happening with them, and so that feels like a, indication that that can be a larger problem with people who go to marches without I think thinking critically and I think a lot of rallies are starting to address that or have been addressing it um, and I've heard a lot of people at protests and rallies say things like don't just go home and get back to your life like go home and do something go home and volunteer donate money or like read something I think especially now that's hopefully changing
1: mm-hmm And that's something, too, that I think the Delete Uber Mm -hmm. hashtag, or whatever that hashtag is, really shows because how well that works when you say, I'm not going to pay for this product anymore if you're not supporting what I support.
0: Right. It's really powerful. I agree. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. I mean, like, I know me and most of my friends don't have a whole lot of money to spend, and so, like, maybe financially we can't make that big of a statement, but I think... Like, I think the Uber thing is really cool because I think it showed a bunch of folks who, you know, don't have a ton of money that if we do make these little changes, if we all do it collectively, like, it can make a really big difference. So it's exciting. I just think there are a lot of ways that you can protest and resist. And so for any listeners, I would really encourage them to find whatever ways make sense for them. And it doesn't have to be marching. It doesn't have to be getting arrested. There's so many meaningful and important ways to protest and to resist everything that's going on. Before I give you a sneak
1: peek of our next episode, here's a message from our sponsors. If you'd like to become a sponsor, send listener feedback or pitch an episode idea, email idothprotestpodcast at gmail.com. You can also look us up on Facebook. Just search our title, I Doth Protest. Next time on "Idoth Protest, Language is one of the primary ways humans create our environment and define our existence. But what happens when an essential part of your being resists the very language you've been given to describe that part of yourself, your gender identity? Well, I've always been,
0: I feel like a queen inside of my body growing up, but Mm -hmm. I always had to cage the queen Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and lock her up because my family is extremely Catholic and I was in seminary. I was going to be a priest. At this point, I feel like I am both. Gen- in the binary, I feel like I'm both female and male. I feel like I'm neither. There's something inside of me telling me that I don't feel comfortable in being a, ma- a man, and I- but I don't feel comfortable being a woman either.
1: I'm your host, Kim Schneider, and this is iDoc for Test.